0: Hi everybody and welcome to this week's podcast, our bonus podcast, which is an interview.
1: Yes,
0: you did it. I, two Michaels I did it. It together. This is two Michaels, this is Michael and Michael for the next hour and a bit today. And this particular Michael is Michael Condren who plays Griff! Griff Reynolds on Coronation Street. Yes, we had a lovely little chat with him this afternoon about um, for all things that he's been up to in the past six months or so. And even beyond them. Oh yeah, Before. we did, we, we did, we, we go back because and we... guess what? D- what? He was in Game of Thrones. He was in Game and that's we've done know. a we've done a podcast about that. So we have yeah, I mean long-time listeners of the podcast will know that we are also big Games of Thrones Game of Thrones fans, so it was great to be able to chat with somebody who was actually in it. Yeah. About some particularly but famous that's not scenes as well. The most important thing we're no, talking no, 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 about no. or Michael's talking about with Michael. You're not talking about anything, are no. you? You're just sitting around doing your work while I was doing this today. Yep. honestly. But right. um but you are gonna do. Everyone wants to hear what the, the interview. So yeah, we'll but you can you can also play go, it. We we'll play it in a minute. But you can also go onto our YouTube. Oh, that's right. It's a video one too. Watch it as well. This is a video interview. Yeah. So I don't know whether anyone's gonna be listening to this. But if you are, hello, you very special people, you audio yeah. only people. Yeah. Here's a love. Yeah. Gemma wants us to get on with it. So here's the interview. Everybody, enjoy. Since late last year, Coronation Street has been tackling the issue of right-wing extremism as we've seen Max being lured into a racist gang led by Griff Reynolds. Griff may be behind bars where he belongs now, but the actor behind him, Michael Condren, is here for me, with me today to talk about his time on The Cobbles. Michael, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for
2: asking. Lovely having you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm off today. So just, yeah, I'm back in Belfast at the moment. Uh, yeah, and
0: all good, all chilled. Good, good. Now, before we start, I mean, I, I think there might be one or two people listening who are a bit taken aback by that Belfand, best, Belfast accent there, Michael. So well done for being able to pull up the wool over so many of our eyes with, uh, with Griff's voice.
2: Yeah, thanks. It's, there's yeah, quite a lot of people. Whenever I, Julia Golden uh, was the very first scene that I ever filmed. Mm-hmm. It was outside Roy's rules. And um, we walked down to the set and we were just chatting with myself, Julia, Georgia and Martin and we were just chatting about different bits and pieces obviously I was pretty nervous and then we had the rehearsal and then I started talking in the character of Griff and we stopped the rehearsal and Julia who is brilliant was very funny she was just like as soon as she started talking there, I got really confused. And then she went, oh, yeah, and then I remembered you're an actor. <laughs> um, but what had actually happened was, I mean, a lot of people have asked me about that. And a lot of the crew and stuff asked me about that. And they they really helped me. The crew were incredible, to be honest with you, between mm-hmm. takes and, you know, if, I, if it was anything that I was struggling with. And everybody that I worked with who was from Manchester was fantastic. But I went to university in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And the one of the guys who I lived with while I was at university was from Stockport um and um I slightly picked it up from there I've always had an ear for accents to be totally honest with you um and um but but living with him and I would give him a bit of grief and vice versa and we would have had a bit of a laugh about it and that's where I kind of picked it up and again really weirdly this is it's just serendipity I mean I I don't know I don't know how things work in life I just find the whole process really strange um from a universal point of view but when I was a kid, I was obsessed with um, Cannon and Ball. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm 45. And um, when I was a kid, I loved Bobby Ball. I loved that slapstick mm-hmm. comedy, which is really my background, to be honest with you, comedy. And, you know, and when I was a kid growing up, you know, rock on Tommy and things like that and mm-hmm. his catchphrases. And I was asked last this is the serendipity, um, last year when i first joined coronation street i was asked to present an award at the northern ireland spirit awards hmm. and um which is for people who work in the community and, and i need to be recognized for working hard in the community oh, yes. um and one of the other presenters and who i got to present with um was tommy cannon um, and after all of those years you know, and I, I, I would never really be this type of person. You know, I would never really go up to somebody. And that's even when I was working on Carnation Street, I would never really do it because I know it's just a job, not just a job, but it is a job. Yeah. And I had to go up to him and I just and I don't I don't realize I don't think he realized the importance of it. But I just said to him, like, you know, I, I have lived with Carnation Street and, uh, you know, an, an iconic TV show. I have lived a dream and you have no idea that that started from when I was a kid. And here I am, you know, 35, 40 years later, Mm. presenting an award with you. And I just find that really, really weird. So that's where I picked it up as a kid, the accent, I think. And then, as I said, I lived with a guy from Stockport and uh, who I was talking to yesterday. I talked to him once a week, generally about football and just to confuse things further you were born in
0: canada weren't you <laughs> yeah
2: there's another <laughs> another mix yeah my mum and dad um moved there in 75 i think 1975 yeah. um obviously northern ireland at the time i've said this in, in other interviews but northern ireland at the time obviously was quite politically mm-hmm. divisive at the time yeah. um, my mom and dad just felt that they've they wanted to sort of move and try something different and then they got homesick so in that time I was born in 77 in that time you know I was born there in Toronto and I think I was home within about a, 18 months I think you know yeah. I mean my time there was was very very short and I've been in Belfast ever since so yeah born in Toronto.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: because we got a few uh fans from Toronto as well Canada uh, Coronation Street's got a quite a big
2: following in Canada. Yeah well I mean I was walking into the studios one day and there was a guy and a and his wife and they were sitting outside and i noticed his his Toronto Maple Leafs hat Mm. and they just asked me would i sign something and take a photograph and i said yeah no problem and then we ended up talking about ice hockey i'm a big ice hockey fan just in general and we ended up talking about Toronto Maple Leafs and then i just you know when they were talking about how huge it is over there Um, Mm. and i know Millie and Mikey just as i was just as Millie left i think and i don't know Millie very well but just as i left they were going to do a series of talks in Toronto Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, so Mikey is a big ice hockey fan too. Um, we we chatted about that, but yeah, massive in in mm-hmm. Canada, which was a which was a bit of a shock to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um. So tell tell me a bit about how you became an actor. Then, what made you want to go down that route? Um, how do you how did you get there? Um, how did I get
2: there? I, I suppose I had this conversation with somebody recently. I suppose I was encouraged initially by other people to do it. I've I've got to be totally honest with you. I have um, I, I have an obsession with aviation. I always wanted to be a pilot. That would be if someone had a said if I could go back and someone said, "There's the money. There's what you can do. What do you want to be a career?" I would have been a, a commercial airline pilot. That's what I always wanted to do. <laughs> um, uh, so I it's quite it's quite funny. Um, Sammy always talks about this whenever I she everybody she meets. She'll go. Do you know Michael has his private pilot's license? <laughs> Everything, and I'm like, can we talk about the work we're doing? And she's like, no, but, but he can fly planes. So I went and I did that in another way. Um, but when I was uh at, at doing my A levels, I was encouraged by the person who moderated me, um, to to go to drama school. Um, I was a dad just from I just when I was seventeen. Oh, yeah. So I found out I was going to be a dad when I was sixteen, and just when I was seventeen, I was a dad. So I I would never have um gone away to london or anywhere else because i wanted to remain at home and and be with my son um Mm -hmm. so the drama school option wasn't open to me um but i worked for my a levels and i went and i did a university degree at university of ulster uh, theater studies degree which sort of it was about the history of theater really not not practical Mm. theater um and or, or acting um but that kept my that kept my foot in the door, and it kept the interest, and it kept that sort of ember there, I guess. Yeah. Um. And and I I, I can't I can't lie. There's no point me lying to you. But I, I wasn't going to classes. And eventually, <laughs> when the you know the head of the the faculty came to me and went, Michael, what's going on here? And I just said like. I'm not interested really in studying the history of you know Greek theater as interesting as that is, I'm sure. but I want to be practical. I want to be doing. I want to be an actor. And they said, you should have told us that at the start. <laughs> and, and and so then they they sort of helped. They were fantastic. University of also they helped sort of John Deaney, who's from Manchester. Um and really weirdly, I did a show at the Manchester Royal Exchange about ten years ago, and John Deaney came to see it. And it, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, I was and again just one of those really weird things in life where you go, you know i'm sitting here talking to you about you know an iconic show and i go with all of these things uh, steve jobs and my friends always laugh at me saying that steve jobs talking about the, the dots connecting backwards and not forwards and i go all of these things fell into place this is my view on it. and um so university of ulster really sort of kept me sort of um interested in it and then i worked I, I, in a shoe shop for three years and um, i yeah. couldn't get any work yeah but again and i'm not going to really bore you with the story and i really but I met a guy at a talk um, three years previous. who was a director, um, at Carl Wallace, at a theatre company called Kabosh. And I told him while I was at university what I wanted to do. And three years later, he came back to me and offered me an audition. Um, and then I got that audition. And from there, I just saw that as an opportunity to invite people to come and see my work. Mm. Um and hope that they liked it and if they did then to audition more and I once you're on that wheel and I uh, it's it's hard to talk about this and talk about yourself without sounding egotistical which I'm really not but you go if I believe that my work is good enough and I believe that people come and see it and then they like it then they'll want to see me more and I I have that belief in my own work that people will will hopefully do that. Not everybody, I'm sure, but I just think that I, that I have enough to, to keep people interested and, and ask them yeah. to see me for other mm-hmm. things. And then it just grew and grew and grew, and you go to more auditions, and more people get to know you. The net starts getting cast wide, um, and that's it, really. You just and then you gotta just try and find what works out there and audition, and just keep mm-hmm. going and going and going. So I didn't go down the drama school route, uh, what a lot of people do, but I just thought learn on my feet. Sure, Which is sure. I think is equally as viable. Yeah. You, 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 we've talked about um, Coronation
0: Street being an iconic show. Is is this a show that you'd seen much of before you went for the role of Griff?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Again, you know, when I was a kid, you know, there were there were three channels. I mean, I remember channel four being launched, you mm. know, so there were three channels. And a staple for us growing up was Coronation Street. Really, and a lot of people laugh on set about this for at, at me. But you have to remember, I come from Northern Ireland, and I'm not, you know, not pleading poverty. But I didn't, I didn't really travel outside of Northern Ireland very mm. much. You know, we weren't in a position to do that, my family. So watching Coronation Street, being from Northern Ireland, it was a, and the, people laugh at me when I use this word. It was exotic. It was, mm. it was some. It was a different world. Yeah, not only not only in the context of a drama, in the context of geography, Mm. it was a different world for me. England existed, a different place outside of Belfast existed, and it was an insight into another world for me. Mm. Um, So there was that aspect to it. Um, And then, you know, iconic characters, you know, Jack and Vera and, you know, Beth, and, and, you know, it's just, you know, it was iconic for us growing up and it was a staple for us to sit around as a family to watch it and we we sat around as a family to watch it and we are a very close family my mom my dad and my sister and um you know it like i don't want to sentimentalize it too much to be honest with you but it reminds me of happy times with my family that's what i associate yeah. with it too it's not just it's not just a drama a soap opera it's about it's iconic for me because because of family mm. and um and that's what what makes it, I think, so popular is the fact that that you do delve into other people's families. It's a little bit of you know voyeurism, no, Absolutely, you know, yeah. and, you know you're you're looking in, you know, behind the doors when somebody else's door is closed. But you know, it was it, it that's why it is iconic for me. A variety of things, but 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 geography wise, it was it was a big thing for me. You know, it was a a world away. Mm. I mean, there were other things as well. You know, at the time, I mean, we would would have watched you know Dynasty and things like that. You know, and yeah. Dallas, you know <laughs> all of these things. It just seemed, for me as a kid, and I mean we will go going to talk about my time on Coronation Street, but it it seemed to me as a kid as a kid that these were unachievable things. That they were places I was never going to see. That I was never going to visit. That mm. they were somehow beyond my life. Yeah, yeah. Um. And Coronation Street, you know, as as much as that is seems, yeah, uh, you know, but. A bit over the top, maybe for some people. It is true. I only can answer your question. You know, it it was it was, was otherworldly for me. So
0: I mean, did you? Is it right that you stayed living in Belfast while you were on Corrie? So despite that big commute, I mean,
2: it must have been an mm. easy decision. It sounds like it was a very very easy decision. I mean, I I absolutely again, I'm not playing to the gallery here. I adore Manchester, and mm. um, I had worked there. Um, I worked there at the Royal Exchange, I can't remember which year. I think, I think, I can't remember, 12, 13 years ago. And um, in a show called Miranda Lena, Matthew Kelly, Gwendolyn Christie, Game of Thrones, um, Ian Bartholomew, oh, uh, yeah. as well. Barty was in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I keep going back to this, all these really weird things. You know, I worked in, you know, with Gwen, I met Gwen one night on Game of Thrones. hmm. All these strange things happen. Um, and I I loved my time. That was my first time living in Manchester. Um, and I this is the true story. In May of last year, mm-hmm. uh, now this is I went to see a football match. Is all I'm going to say. And I flew into Manchester to get a train to go and watch a football match somewhere <laughs> else. I'm not saying any more than that. No. And I was I was coming out of Oxford Road train station on the train. Again, everybody's doing the maths here, going, "What direction was the train going?" <laughs> um, and uh, and um, I had noticed, you know, the the the, the uh, Dean's Gate there at the bottom of Dean's Gate, there all the new sort of tall buildings, which have yeah, which yeah, weren't know, there, maybe. which weren't there whenever I was here about 10, 12 years ago. And I thought, I, I absolutely adore this city. I really adore this, and I adore the people in the city. Mm. And I thought, and this was in May, I hadn't even auditioned for Carnation Street. And I thought I would do anything to come back and work here. And four weeks later, I had the audition for Coronation Street. <laughs> and that's right. you know, and I, it is. And I just, I adore the city. I have to say, I adore, I adore Salford. Yeah. Um, I, I really do. And I, I think to myself, I, and when I got it, the, the, they were brilliant. At Coronation Street. They, they knew. They told me what I was going to do, how long I would be there for, and what was required okay. of me. So I always knew that it was a really kind of a one-way ticket. Um, so I I took that time to really enjoy myself there. And I thought, you know, if if ever I was to go back or ever I was to be in Manchester working again or live in Manchester, which I considered, to be honest, if they had said, look, do you want to do, you know, more than a year, I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd, I'd move in the morning. I still would move in the morning. Um, and I would live in Salford. It's, um it's a
0: lovely place because we, we go up there once or twice a year usually and it is it's it's not just great because you know we coronation street is there but it's a lovely lovely city the people it's, I, I completely agree with you
2: it, 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 I, I feel at home i said this to my mom and dad i feel at home in manchester to be honest yeah. with you i really do and yeah. i think that's because people make you feel at home um, I just love the city. You know, I love I love being in the city, going out in the city, just everything about it, which is which was so important. So, the commute for me, uh, to be totally honest with you, it just became a financial thing for me because I'm not going to go to the ins and outs of it. Sometimes it suited me to be in Belfast more than it did, it did to be in Manchester. But if I had a choice, it probably would have been in Manchester more.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you you said when you went for the part of Griff, you knew what it was going to be and what what it would all entail. Because for for viewers, it took us a few months to realize just how sinister Griff was going to be. But you, you knew it all right from the start, did
2: you? I knew it all from the start, yeah. Um they um the producers um Ian and Verdi were brilliant throughout the whole everybody was brilliant throughout it. And they just gave me the detail and, and like anybody else, said, everybody who auditioned for it, the details were given and, and we and I knew what the storyline was going to be and they just said the audition and my agent just said that like, you know you need to be comfortable with this. Mm. And I mean, I, I was comfortable with doing it. It's a job, you know, I've I played lots of different characters and it obviously is a character. So, you know, I was happy to do it. Um, and then I obviously knew that it was, it was there to support Patty's story and, you know, and where that will continue to go and where Paddy was in his life before I came into the show, mm-hmm. during when I was with him in the show and subsequently what has gone on to happen. After the show with Patty. um, so I, I I was aware of that um, and I was aware of of the content that was that was coming up, yeah,
0: yeah. Was it was your audition for online because they often I hear they do a lot of online auditions
2: these days. No, mine was just a self tape to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. Um, so I sent through the self tape and um, I've got to be honest with you, I I'd kind of forgotten about it because I think it had been like two weeks since I heard anything. Yeah. And sometimes as an actor, I mean, I. You you send tapes away and you go <laughs> I've nailed that <laughs> and I, I thought yeah, I'm really not that you've nailed it but you're happy with it maybe nailed it is in an our world isn't but you're happy with the job that you have yeah. done and I sent it away and I went I'm happy with that job and I fit fe- I felt I looked right um I felt I just felt this is this is a true story and I promise you I, I got I got the audition uh, email through from my agents in London and. I could take you to where I I opened it and I thought this is before I taped before I read a script and this is going to sound um, a bit egotistical and I went I'm going to be in Carnation Street I hadn't read the script and something in myself knew that I was going to do it, I just knew I was going to do it and when I taped and I looked at the tape I went I'm going to be in Carnation Street and I had to keep reminding myself that there was probably maybe 20 or 30 other guys in there going for it but mm-hmm. I was just so sure of it and I, I've never really been like that ever in my in my life. So I was a little bit shocked whenever after about two weeks I hadn't heard anything because um, I thought, gosh, I thought I did a good one. I thought I did enough for a recall at least yeah. for a meeting eating uh, a meeting with Ian and Verity, uh, you know, for a chat. And then I was sitting having a coffee in Botanic Avenue in Belfast with a friend of mine actually talking about a project I'm working on writing. And my phone went and it was my agent and he just said, uh, Carnation Street want you to you know go play Griff and I was like brilliant this was on a Wednesday and I went right brilliant when does it start and they want you to be in Manchester on Tuesday wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was like right okay so then the panic set in yeah, um, yeah. And, and then I just had to get all my ducks in a row so um so that's so it was about two weeks so I sent a self-tape and and just
0: okay. and that was it so what was it what was your first day on set like then was there anyone in particular you were particularly excited or nervous about meeting
2: I think, um, I think, I think you know, I've been around the business a long time and I think what I'd done in those days in the lead up to it was to prepare myself for the fact that I would be nervous and all of the things that we just talked about, what it meant to me, I dealt, I processed that and just went, I have to go and do a job now and that emotion that I feel about it personally has to be set to one side because I am there to do a job um, and part of my job and part of every actor's job is to be able to control nerves, I guess. It's mm-hmm. it's not easy and it doesn't really happen that often, but the attempt is there. <laughs> so I was obviously nervous going into my first day. Um, and at the Christmas party, and I am going to reiterate this if he, if he watches it, the first person that I saw um, was Martin in the green room. And yeah. he was the only person sitting in the green room. And I, I told him this and it sounds um, a bit over the top again. I'm only answering the question, is and he gave me a smile and shook my hand. And in that moment I thought, I'm gonna be okay. And he hadn't said a word. And that sounds really misty-eyed and and all of that. And it's not it's not because it it, it was business like for me at, at that time. And then I met Claire um or Georgia
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I and Julia and um and we sat in the green room and I said to them all um you know i was so blessed that it was those three people because i couldn't have had a better three people to start what was a nerve-wracking situation for me um and to keep me right and um to walk me down to the set and um and then when i got down there um i just have to do my job and i just i can remember just going do your job you know you're here for a reason and and do what I'd probably been practicing for about two hours the night before in the hotel room and know my lines, yeah. hit the marks. Um, you know, I, I had also sort of been aware, you know, you hear this story about soap opera moving very, very quickly. So I was aware that that was probably going to happen. And, and obviously with other shows and experience and working on things like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, I, you know, I know the business side of it. I know that you have to be professional. I know that you have to hit your marks. I know that time is money. I know that um they they have a lot to do, and that really, if I was nervous, as difficult as this sounds that they are not there to look after just me. they have mm-hmm. they have their job to do, yeah, and yeah. I'm aware of that, and I approach it like that. I go, I know I have my job to do, but I was nervous, yeah, I mean, of course, I think I, I, I wouldn't be human if I wasn't um, mm-hmm. but I was blessed with the, the three people that I went down with, and mm-hmm. you know, and particularly, you know, you know. Martin and Claire, you know, honestly, you know, I speak to Claire every few weeks. We we text each other. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she she is an incredible person, and you know, and I'm glad. I said this to a, to a friend of mine, um, a few weeks ago. I am I am genuinely glad that I made you. You meet people in your life. You go, and it could be fleeting, but you go, that's a friend of mine, and then yeah. she will be a friend of mine. And, and Martin is is the same because obviously, I think then you know, I I started working less and less with Julia. And Julia obviously had other things going on in her personal yes. life at the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and all then all of this stuff. Chris Gascoigne going again, incredible. You know, mm-hmm. incredible actor, um, incredible man, great crack. Um, and then Pads, Paddy the Diva Beaver, as I like to call him, as I've mm-hmm. christened him, because <laughs> uh, he is the opposite of being a diva. And <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I work with the best team of people on it. And the lads who, 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 um, card lakeley uh, scott anson and um, luke delaney were the, the boys who were sort of in the group with me as well i blessed i honestly blessed
0: <laughs> so how did you how did you feel about the way that griff was brought into the street then because we knew there was something dodgy about him from the start but it took a few months before he realized you know just exactly what it was did you enjoy that
2: that mystery yeah I, well obviously knowing what was to come i think you know people were going what's going on with this character i think there was a confusion at the start and they couldn't figure out where he sat and obviously with spider's history you know and the environmentalism and sitting up trees Mm. uh, with emily um you know (laughs) you know and all of that history was there and i was kind of glad at the start people thought that that's what it was about but i knew i knew it was laying the foundations and i think the remit that I was sort of given from the producers and the directors initially was part of that story, which obviously the audience won't know. Is and part of my remit and what I wanted to do as an actor was to be a nice, seem like a nice guy. Yeah. Because that's that's how these guys operate. Mm. You know, they they pick you and they seem like decent people. Um, you know, out there for a good cause and you know trying to help the world and it, and. You know, it's, you know, it is a smokescreen and it was playing that smokescreen. Mm. And a lot of people going, I don't understand why this character's here and what he's doing and why he's talking about that. <laughs> and the reality is you fell for the smokescreen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You didn't understand it. So some people are going, well, he shouldn't be there because of this. And, you know, I've read so- social media going, why is he here? And they shouldn't be here. And I oh, don't not another one. And you're going, <laughs> you are falling for this. You yeah, just don't
0: exactly. see it. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Looking back There were some clues because we we saw Griff leading that protest at the fact outside the factory against Nadine Atala. And we're led to believe at the time it's because of his unethical anti-environmental work practices. But then looking back at it now, it's like, was it to to do with the colour of his skin?
2: Absolutely. Well, you know. um, That I knew that that's that's what it was about, you know, Mm. and there were other moments in it where seeds were being um, sown. Yeah. And and little comments were being passed here and there. You know, we don't like your sort. We your, your sort's not welcome around this, mm. these these um around the street. You know, those comments those little comments were passed to other people as well. And um, th- those were the first seeds of of where could, and and in fairness again, some people started to tune into that, and some people go. I can remember reading someone or someone saying to me, "Well, that could be that that could be deemed as a bit of a racist comment." <laughs> and I know where it's going. They yeah. don't, and obviously I won't tell them where it's going because I don't. I'm not going to give that away. And I'm going, yeah, you're on the money because that's where it's going to go. And you were right to pick up on that comment. Mm. Um, so you know, I think I think initially my rema uh was to um remember Jason Wingard one of the directors and we were doing a scene in Roy's roles and he was like remember you know affable nice guy that's all we want here we don't want any you know we don't want any indication of where this is going to go
1: yeah
2: um and that that's certainly how I wanted to start that sort of journey I wanted to start him you know As a nice guy, as as I have been asked to do, you know, but it was about where I pitched that at the start, and I was delighted when people were going, "Why is he here?" Because I'm going, "You're falling for the (laughs) smokescreen." Yeah, I mean, do do you think that Griff was interested in the environment at all, or was that just all a front? Personally, the decision I made as an actor was that was all a front. Mm. Um, I I don't know whether the writers and the producers, if they were sitting around a table with me here, would agree with me, but the journey that I wanted to make that was the decision I made that it was a front and I've got you know you have to make decisions and um, pull the trigger quickly and and that was the decision that I made you know going into it knowing the remit that they had asked me to do I had the scripts I had they give you I'm sure you, you know this but they would maybe give you eight scripts so everything's done in the blocks yeah. yeah I don't know if any yeah so you got your block of eight scripts so I'm I'm reading well ahead about what's happening and where it's going to go so I know what, what that journey is going to be, um, and I, I decided where I was going to pitch that. And mm-hmm. the directors, I have to say, every single one that I work with, because they rotate the directors, they, they just they they allowed me to do that journey and make the decisions. And it was just a brilliant thing to know they trusted me to 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 make my own choices and very much be in control of where I wanted the character to go. Mm. I suppose the
0: time when the mask really slipped for Griff as a character was during that speech at the community centre, which started kind of seemingly innocent enough, but then just turned into this analogy for anti-immigration, didn't it? Tell tell me what you remember about that particular thing, because that one always stands out for me.
2: Well, I think it stands out out for me too, um, because I I do think that is the first time anybody who had maybe an inclination or, or had picked up on the little smaller droplets of sort of the hints that we had given. Mm. This was the first time where the, the the street had gone, okay, we're we're going to find out what this guy really is about now. Because yeah. the other lads had come in, the the group had been there. And um, I think you could tell by the group of friends that I had brought as well with me. Yeah the the, the type of people I was associating with or Griff was associating with.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um and um that was the first time where where I thought um okay this is this is where things are going to get interesting, from a in the story and outside of work, um, um and so that was a that was a, a a real sort of important moment for me. To be honest with you, it was uh David Nielsen said to me, he was like, they've given you a lot of words there. I was <laughs> like, I know they've given me a lot of words. They've given me four pages of words here, which is massive because normally it's like you know like one scene, few words here. You remember yeah. them when you do it. And I was like, look at that, that's a proper monologue. So I spent a few days learning it. And I, again, because I I didn't want to hold things up. So so from a practical point of view, I needed to be on it. Um, But then I have to remember also what I wanted to do as the character. But that was the moment where people, if they didn't cup on, they knew, you know, yeah. that analogy, of, you know, you know the signal crayfish you know our, our you know our white clawed crayfish yeah. you know all of the all of those it reminded me of a scene actually and um there's a scene in um, i think it's crimson tide with uh gene hackman and denzel washington mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that movie no i haven't um it's about a summer i, th- I think it's crimson tide i think it's that one um, a lot of submarine movies, but it is, and and they play two sort of uh, Gene Hackman plays a captain, and Denzel Washington plays this sort of you know like deputy kid, whatever it is on a, on a mm-hmm. naval ship, and he has this conversation, and Gene Hackman's character is obviously racist, not obviously, but through this speech you find out what he really thinks, mm-hmm. and he talks about these two horses, and basically about how the um the white horse is much superior to this other horse and he's having this conversation with denzel washington and he's using the analogy of these two horses to really say what he wanted to say
1: yeah
2: um and that's what what struck me about that watching that years ago is you don't have the backbone to say what you really want to say mm. and um or you're being you're trying to be smart in how you're doing and a little bit of that not how i played it but a little bit of that was in my head about the journey that i wanted to make you know that you know that Griff was never really at this stage going to come out I know he's too much to lose he had too much to lose at that point mm. he's you know he, he measured he was measuring the field if you want to go back to the very start he was measuring the field I guess he yeah. was seeing where everybody sat on the street and who he could manipulate and where it was going to go and he was playing everybody with his smoke screen and I think I think that was the time where he took the gamble to go right this is where I'm going yeah. I, I figured everybody out I figured how I can get my in and this is the moment where I'm going to go for it Mm. And um, it was very very satisfying seeing him being taken down by Roy towards the end of the scene. Well, I think I think you know, I'm I'm going back and slightly paraphrasing that, but I think that they go outside afterwards and um yeah, and, and Roy says to him, you know, whenever you're given these species, remember that you have to deal in facts. Mm. And he's just been given a factual lesson by by Roy in the community centre. And yeah. it's when Roy starts throwing facts at him that things become difficult for him. Um, and uh, we, we, yeah, me and a couple of the boys have, have a laugh about how he, was, how he was brought down a peg or two by Roy in that scene, which is fantastic. You know, the, the facts just being presented to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of facts, I mean, how uh, it was really important when Corey does these storylines to try and keep it as true to life and factual as possible. So did you work alongside any charities or, or anyone maybe who's been ensnared in a similar way to Max to help you learn more about people like Griff?
2: I have to be honest with you, and I've said this in other interviews. um, This was the difficulty for me with regards to playing Griff, is that um, it, it wasn't for me as Michael to have a view as to whether anything Griff says is right or wrong. Mm. I know my own part. I know I have my personal feelings about it, and they 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 stay personal yeah. about where I sit on the scale of it. But I I have to say there are a lot of people who I've met who agree with what he says,
1: mm.
2: and you know he 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 has an opinion. And and my remit that I gave myself was to go in and uh, and present a three dimensional character for people to make up their own minds. So i i didn't i didn't once i closed the doors physically close the doors and work and that gate closes behind me i stopped thinking about it yeah um because i didn't i didn't want to influence people either way because that's not really that's beyond my remit mm-hmm. that's beyond my job people are entitled to a view and as i have said recently all I would say is from a personal point of view is wherever you stand on this story and other stories and other opinions that you have in your life, when you voice them as Griff does, you're, you, you, you promote consequences. Yeah. And think, think about the consequences that you promote when you say these words. Yes, everybody's entitled to an opinion and say what they want to say. But think about the consequences of those. Think about what that leads to. Think about as we will probably talk in in a little while. Think about all of those words that he spoke in that community centre. Think about what it led to.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's not just you know that's. You could take you could, in my opinion. You could take lots of different ideologies. There are probably, you know, there are lots of ideologies and on the on the political spectrum where you could you know find it you know you could equate it to other things either left or right Mm. and you go you know and i'm aware of that so i didn't want to and that was part of the reason why i wanted to to create griff as a person as opposed to an ideology his ideology existed but i wanted to create a a person as well so i didn't in answer to your question sorry it's a long-winded way of going about it i didn't because i felt that that would be influence and decision that i would maybe make as an actor Mm. Um and it would take me down a road of being anti-griff or pro-griff wherever that Mm. whatever and I just wanted to create a character, um, in the show professionally and keep my personal thoughts about it personal and um and obviously you know the team at Carnation Street worked with me really well to support me in that story they were incredible Mm. incredible at at helping me through that story and um Mm. at times there were things that I said that weren't. They weren't easy to say. Um, And there are particular scenes that I find difficult to do. Um, The scene with Darian, Twana, um, in in the park was difficult. Mm. And, you know, Twana's an amazing actor um, and an amazing Mm. lad. Um, I love him to best. He's class. And, um, you know, when we were filming that scene, um, I mean... Again, in answer to your question, would I probably, yeah, probably at some point, you know, we'll we'll, we'll sit down and go, like, just think about your, you know words and actions and consequences. Cause when mm-hmm. we filmed that scene and we were actually we were actually recording on it. I mean, <laughs> maybe the director who was ever on that will probably kill me for going, you should be thinking about work, nothing else.
1: Mm-hmm. But as
2: we were filming that, um, and we were we we follow him into um we follow him into the gardens. Yeah. Um, and we surround him in the gardens. But was as we were filming that we were walking across the cobbles. It's just the way Twana, this is going to sound really weird, but it was just the way Twana walked into the gardens.
1: Mm.
2: And I just thought there are kids his age, 15, 16. I think he's a bit older than that, really. I think he's 18. But 15, 16 is the character being played. Yeah. Who face this day in, day out. And not just from a racial point of view, but from bullying. Mm. Kids are being bullied. And you know, you know, if you take the the racial element aside of it, you know, that this is someone being beat up in a got in a park mm. from its basis level. He's he's a kid being beat up in a park. And I remember thinking, this happens, this is a reflection of what is happening. Um and uh and I find that difficult to do um and to be part of based on how we were dressed, and he was on his own. And you know, I come from a place where Well, that was really our lives day and daily, you know. I mean, and, and, you know, and it was a little bit of an insight into my own life about things that people here have faced. So that's why it was kind of personally difficult for me because it continues, it continues, continues everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, for whatever reason, for, you know, sexuality, you know, your race, what height, whatever, whatever somebody can try and find a inverted commas problem with. Uh, they, they will do it. And I think that that, in a wider context needs to be addressed. And I hope that I hope that me playing this makes people aware of what they say, what they do in a wider context, sure. no matter what your ideology is and what your discriminate you know, discrimination is about. Uh, yeah. Think about that because it has consequences.
0: So do, you, do you find it difficult to, to switch off from playing a villain at the end of the day? Because, I, I mean, I've spoken to other Corey villains like Connor McIntyre, who played Phelan, and it can take you to some really dark places, can't it?
2: Um, y- yes. In, inside the gates, as I just, you know, I, I said to you about Tatwana, and I knew what the storyline was going to be, um, and I knew what I was preparing myself for. Um and I had made a a conscious decision. This is just the way my brain works. But just to once this is going to sound really strange, but uh you know I once the, the I could physically hear the door click behind me. I I was out. Like, I was I was got I was gone from that place. Yeah. Um, you know uh in my head <laughs> that, yeah. that place. Just like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: You know I was going right. Okay, I leave that in there. I don't take that with me. Um, you know that's per- that's a professional work and I'm outside now and I'm going to take a nice walk down Salford Keys, and go for a coffee uh, and, you know, and, and do things like what, you know, things I would, I would come out sometimes and I would just take a walk around, around the, the gallery, even, you know, I'd seen it a good few times, but I would have gone to the library and stuff like that and, and had a look at some of the work in there just to, cause it's nice and quiet and, you know, obviously it's, it's a very busy atmosphere in Carnation Street. So sometimes if I had a few hours or whatever in the afternoon, I will come out there and just sit in there. It's nice and quiet, sit in the gallery and stuff like that and um, and, and just try and switch off from work. Not necessarily switch off from the story because, you know, it, in one of the final scenes that I did, I mean, we've talked about the creation of, of this character, Griff, and where he was at the start and what his motives and stuff were. I, and and in trying to create that three dimensional character uh, it's it's difficult this is what's going to well, this is what's difficult for me my whole life creating characters i i become attached to them hmm. and there are certain characters in my life that i've loved playing that i and this again i signs over the top but i got to be honest that i've struggled to let go because i go up oh, because it's not yeah. me
1: yeah
2: and i go oh that person who never really existed anyway is mm-hmm. now gone. Mm-hmm. And I I and this this is something that I always sort of uh make myself feel a little bit bit better because I think to myself, the nice characters, I think, well, at least I created it and I get to take that character with me. Yeah. And I, they'll always be there. That character will always be there. And I have to say, I would be lying if I if I can take the politics totally out of it. Remove the politics out of this, please. For anybody listening, there is an element of me that was sad to stop playing Griff.
0: Yeah, of
2: course. And because I'd worked so hard to create this character, mm. so from maybe a professional personal, it it was hard to let him go. Um, and there is a scene that, um, I do. It was one of the last scenes that I filmed, and it was with Tim Newell as the director. And oh. it's probably not remembered, but um, he goes he he goes to the platz and he sends Lauren away, because it's his final throw of the dice, mm. and he 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 tries to get um Max on his own to yeah, convince yeah, him one last time. And he's sitting on the city, and it's a it's a brilliant shot actually that Tim has done, and. I'm in the foreground and Paddy's sitting on the stairs in the back. And he has this heart to heart with Patty. Sorry, Max. Mm. And I asked him, and, and Tim just went, do what you need to do in this. And uh, I just said to Tim, it's the first time that you saw Griff as a, for me, a human. Mm. And I wanted that, as diff- difficult as that was, no one the background of things that he had done I wanted, I wanted to present a side of Griff that maybe does that cannot even see in himself what he's saying mm. and that there is a human in there because I think you need to provide that human element to it otherwise you, you it need to become... be
0: three dimensional as a character totally. sure.
2: otherwise it just becomes a a stock body character and twirly moustache villain. And that's Mm. not what I wanted to do. I wanted to present this person as a real person. And I said to Tim, and I I still, and I can be honest with you, I don't know the answer to this question as Michael, as Griff, I've never answered my own question. And that is, how does he feel about Max? Yeah. I can't answer that question. I've never been able to answer that question. And I don't know what that speech is because he says we're kindred spirits. That's the line, you know, we're kindred spirits me and you and mm-hmm. you're the future, I'm the past and I looked after you whenever your family didn't and didn't care for you. I was there for you. I took you in. They ignored you. And you go, is that a manipulation?
0: Yeah, exactly. Didn't.
2: Does he really feel that he did it because he liked Max as a kid and wanted, you know, Griff lives on his own, as you saw from his flat. He doesn't have... He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have that part of his life. Mm. These are things that I, I'm thinking about whenever I'm creating this character. No one else is going to know this watching it. But in my head, I'm going, he lives on his own. He's a 45-year-old man who lives on his own. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have a girlfriend that we know of. Mm. He never speaks about it. The only people that come around to his house are his mates. This is all he has in life. Um, Now, it's up to you to determine how you feel about that. Is it sad? Is it dangerous? What if, What that is. But in Max, he finds someone he can manipulate, someone who move Max moves in. Mm. Max becomes a, a flatmate. Yeah. Company from a from a personal point of view. He becomes company. He becomes somebody to talk to outside of the indoctrination, to watch TV with, to do human yeah. things with. Yeah. That he's that he's maybe not had. Now nobody is nobody watching Carnation Street is ever going to know these are the things that go through my head and trying to create a rounded character. But there are things that I think about when I when I do it, and I and I, I guess in answer to the question, it's it's kind of hard to let that go because there is a human side to him. Hmm. There has to be a human side to him. There has to be emotions that are outside of far right extremism. And you go, how do I how do I play that? How do I and and that scene with Max was a big thing for me because it's a confession, and I, I asked him I was like, how do you want me to play this? And he went, he went, well we've, we've recorded it, and that's what I'm going with. Because and I'm not blowing I'm not blowing smoke up my own self here, but I go, he went, you made the right choice, and he went, I don't need to I don't need to record that. We said we got it, we got it in the first go. Let's move on. And that was it. And that's the way Carnation Street works. He got what he needed, and he moved on. And they, and 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 he was really nice actually. We were we were at lunch the following day actually, and he stopped me on the stairs, and he went, Michael, I just want to say. Which is really brilliant, great guy, and he just said that stuff we did yesterday. I watched it back, um, you know, we made the right call, and you know, I watched it um on TV and haven't been away from it a, a few weeks later. I I watched it and I went, I still can't answer my own question. I don't I don't know how he feels about Max, yeah, and I still can't answer that question. It's it's you know, it's a difficult one because if you answer it and you go, he really cared about him, then you go, he is human and he has feelings and he has emotions. And to a certain extent, some people would feel guilty, feeling, you know, God help him. Mm -hmm. Because then you go, well, if I go, if I think God help him, he's a lonely man. Then do I endorse his political views?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And those are things I wanted to leave. It's not up to me to make your decision. Make your decision. Not, Mm -hmm. not, not up to me. I'll, I'll present this. I made my decision and how I wanted to do it. Now six million people can go, and I'm handing that to you. So when I, so in a long-winded way to answer the question, when I left, I, I was work, I was aware that I was leaving those questions with an audience and I could let them go. So it, it was quite easy for me walking out of work because it's work, you know, it's work. I, I, I work really hard when I get in there, but I as soon as I get out, I, I do what I need to mentally to to move on really and just try and get on with my day and focus on what I need to do to, maybe the following day and I'll think about that maybe before I go to bed what do I want to do tomorrow what what have we got on tomorrow know these lines <laughs> yeah.
0: well you might you may not know what Griff thinks about Max but we do know what we think of Paddy Beaver and he is he's fantastic isn't he we, we met him once and everyone who we ever speak
2: to him on Coronation Street always is just full of praise for him I, I honestly I, I had a brilliant time working with Paddy we had brilliant conversations you know, whenever we weren't rolling, very funny ones. Some that are maybe not right for a podcast, but uh, <laughs> very, very, very funny ones. And and we talk a lot about you know, we never. I don't think patty and I ever made the decision to sit down and talk about what we wanted to do together mm. and what high how, hit how story. In fact, we didn't. I know this looking back. You know, we never sat down. And went, well, what do you think, and what am I thinking? How does this work? We never did that. We had generic conversations. Very, you know. Um, Comfortable, you know, conversation as friends about what we were each doing, but never, never to influence what the other. I think I don't even think it were ever in those contexts. I think we were just talking about we were just talking about things in general, and I kind of think it was a very, you know, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but you know, just it was just very, you know, it just became very easy to to develop the story together. He is a, he is, he's fantastic. He's a brilliant doctor. He has a brilliant story. And, you know, he's, I always look that, you know, I mean, 45 ago, you know, he's, he's a young lad who has a lot on his shoulders and he handles yeah. it incredibly well. I know how I, 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 I will take this opportunity to say Patty works unbelievably hard all of the time.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, Patty is so well prepared for what he wants to do, how he wants it to go where his character's going. Um he he works incredibly hard and he is a brilliant, brilliant person. I mean, again, it'd be very easy for me. And you know, it's playing to the gallery and, you know, Carnation Street fans will listen to this and go, well, you know, I honestly, you know, I said it about Julia and, and Claire and Martin and Chris. You they primarily were all the guys that I yeah. work with the most in my own you know, group of guys. And Patty, you know, and um blessed with them all. But Patty, you know, and yeah. I just and that's when he won. When he won the NTA, the NTA, then I was, you know, I was just like, he needs water, get him water. He needs this, <laughs> he needs that. And he, just, he's just the polar opposite of being a diva. Um. So and everybody was so delighted for him. You know, you know, when he came in, everybody was so delighted for him, and I was delighted. for him. I mean, I I only got to work with him very briefly. Obviously, everybody's worked with him a long time, mm. and they will continue to work with him a long time. So I'm sure it was great for. You know, um, Jack and Julia to to see that as well because obviously they've been on that journey with him as well. And
1: mm.
2: you know, Jack as well. I mean, we did some great stuff at the end and and brilliant, brilliant. You know, uh, there's a brilliant scene actually um, that we did. And David comes round to Griff's Flat to tell uh, Patty, sorry, Max, do this all the time. <laughs> um, tell Max that um that he loves him. Yeah, and I'm... that he may not he may not be his biological father, but he loves him.
1: Mm.
2: And we did that scene, and Grist sitting in the background in the kitchen, listening to it, and it was it was brilliant for Michael Condren to watch that, and we were recording, and I as we were recording, I'm not saying anything, and I was looking at Jack, and I was going, that's brilliant. And you can and I, I, I just brilliant. It's mm-hmm. a brilliant piece of work, mm-hmm. and it was brilliant to watch it. And at the end of it, you know the character of Max is crying, and Patty was crying. Mm-hmm. It was a brilliant scene. It yeah. was a brilliant scene, and it was it done. Was. And at the end of it, I have the line. will go. Well, that's enough, I think the line is something. Well, that's a lot. Enough of the long, long, long lost family stuff. Mm-hmm. And Griff being Griff rips the carpet from underneath what has been yeah. a brilliant scene. And I, I felt as as Michael Condren, I felt guilty delivering <laughs> that line. <So> i like, <laughs> I have just ruined this absolutely fantastic moment. And again, that's what it's there for, you know. But you know, I can remember watching that and going, from Jack's point of view, that was it. That was a, a brilliant piece of work. Mm. Um. So you know, Max, Patty, you know, with Julie as well, who's brilliant. You know, he he's in going forward in that story and going forward in Paddy's career he's working with people who around him who are really Absolutely. brilliant they do. yeah brilliant
0: to totally agree. yeah another another um Griffin and Max moment that I wanted to touch on a bit was the camping trip that you took him on how, yeah. how, was, how was all that like I mean it, it must have been freezing. pretty <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was freezing um uh It was good. It was good to get out of the studios. It was good to go and do something in a location. Some very very funny moments. This is a this is a really funny moment. So we're filming, uh, and uh, I can't remember the name of this place. Um, somewhere in Cheshire. Absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful near the Welsh border. It's incredible. But north and a half outside Manchester. nor outside Manchester. Um. But it's an estate, and on the estate, there are hundreds of cows. And we were (laughs) filming. So the explosion happens. And Paddy's on the ground after the car has... And all of these (laughs) cows start ruining continuity. They all start (laughs) creeping into the... Like, one by one by one. So, like, it was so obvious. Like, in the start, there was none. Then there was two. And then there was 200. And we were like, we can't can't do this, (laughs) because it just keeps changing. So they've got... Thankfully, I'm in Belfast, so I I think I, I remember his name. Dave, the head security guy, mm. and they got him into he got they got him into a field to try and chase the two hundred cars. Uh, uh, it one of the funniest things I have all of the crew were watching them and they were going, "You need to get them like miles away." And he was up at the end of it, he was walking uh, with this, this bucket of feed uh, in this field, like. Three hundred yards away, with two hundred cows surrounding him, thinking they were getting fed, <laughs> we could get this, we could get this shot, and he was not amused. He kept the learners' cow everywhere here, and it was just really <laughs> funny. But it was good. It was good. It was really good. It was very cold, and obviously, again, it was the pardon the pun, the explosive part of the story. Um, yeah.
0: Well, but, and, and, and a preview of what would come a couple of weeks later with the uh, with the explosion you know, in the in the market and stuff.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously they were gearing up for that and practicing that. And I, from a character point of view, I was aware that that moment literally, again, this is a bit of a pun, but it was the moment when the wheels started to fall off. Mm. Um, You know, this was the moment where it had peaked, I guess, for him. And I think when you look back on the story, if you were to... Everything starts to go downhill from there for him. Mm. He loses it then. Yeah. When that car, when that explodes, he loses it. Because mm. Sp- Spider's obviously aware of everything that's going on. Mm. Everything going over my house. Spider's obviously aware of it going on. And then it all starts to unravel for him. And he's, he's starting to chase his tail here. He can't yeah. get it back. He mm. can't. Uh, he obviously doesn't know about Spider at this point. But then... You know, then it all just goes downhill to the point of no return, where mm-hmm. you know he mm-hmm. has that final scene with Max going, oh, "This is my last throw of the dice." to emotionally mm-hmm. blackmail this lad because I'm, it's gone. I've, I've I've lost it, and that that was the moment. So, um, there was a funny moment in that um where he had never lost his cool ever. I had made that choice to never mm-hmm. lose his cool. He never shouts no. um at people. He, you know, I had made that choice to never shout at people. And uh, there was a strange moment in that where I shouted at Spider. Um, and there was a bit of a we, we sort of talked about it afterwards after we filmed it and we filmed another version of it where I where where, where I didn't shout at him, where he was cool and calm and collected. Mm. Um and I, I just I felt at that moment either either way that he had just he had, internally he had exploded because he knew it was gone. He knew he was in severe trouble here. How would the, how was he going to deal with this? You know, and the panic had started to set in, him. so that coolness that he had had started to started to sort of crumble, I guess. Then, mm. but it was it was it was good fun. It was good fun being out for it. We did we filmed two days, um, and obviously because you're outside from a practical and a technical point of view, there's a lot of things to a lot of things to take into consideration. You know, that's why having the street set is so fantastic. You know, out in Salford because you know they they can be on top of a lot of things apart from planes, yeah. um, you know, um. But you know, it was good. It was good fun. Yeah, no, no cows roaming about Media City, as far as I know. No, I don't
0: think
2: so. Just me <laughs> <laughs> after, after waddling out of a coffee shop. <laughs> with,
0: with the with the the bomb in the speed dial van, something I wanted to ask was was the idea? Do you think for for Griff to to have it explode there and kind of cause a load of damage, or was it more to was he trying to like frame? Than Aziz as you know the owners of the van and make it look like they were the terrorists. But
2: my personal decision as mm. what I did, I don't necessarily know exactly you know where the producers and and the, the directors. I, I I think it was a I think it was a personal thing and I think he wanted it just to go off and create yeah. havoc. Yeah. You know he says, you know he says they they run away uh, and they they're camping. Uh, again, one night with the fire, and he says, he says to Max, "Tomorrow I'll walk into that police station and I'll be a hero myself." Yeah. So he had made the decision, I think, then that what he was going to do is to use a Northern Irish term, a spectacular. Um, and he he was he was going to do that, and that's what he was going to, That's how he was going to make his statement, and that he, that he saw himself being a hero as an individual, and I think he saw that from. You know a uh, uh you know uh, a, a big moment um yeah. and I think that that that's what he was he was trying to do that was the decision I had made for him
1: yeah
2: and it
0: didn't work did it because uh, now he is banged up and that's it but, yeah I mean, we, we, gonna... we saw the last of him just recently we, we I loved Griff's final scenes with spider and and the way that they were cutting them between Alia and Max as well I mean, are you are you pleased with how your final scenes turned out?
2: Yeah, I am. I am, and if like friends and family and stuff have talked about it. Um, yeah, I am. I, I, um, I think they did a really great job, and I think that that was a really a, a really great tool to split those things up as well, and and just to see the two stories go on at once. Um, and giving you a rounded three dimensional view of everybody's yeah. sort of opinion on it, and then let an audience make its mind up. So I thought that was a really good um, device to do that. Um, yeah, I am. I I, I am happy. You know. It's it's obviously bittersweet because you know it's it's an incredible thing to have been part of it and it was an incredible story and an incredible character to create and um I hope that um only positive things come from it um for people I you know whatever it is I I was always as difficult as it as it was for me to do things at times I I. How I rationalized that with myself was to go, what I am doing is uh helping hopefully um tackle problems and issues where you sit on that spectrum is entirely up to you. Think about what you're going to do. And I think to myself, if you know I've been involved in this, I would obviously have loved to have stayed. I knew what it was a one-way ticket whenever I went in. Mm-hmm. I was told that, and they, they were fantastic, keeping me right on that. Um, I would have loved to have stayed, I loved the experience. So but I knew so now that's why it's bittersweet, because, you know, I personally would have loved to have stayed in Carnation Street because I loved it um, and what it means for me. Um, but it was part of the story and it's so bit bittersweet. Um, but from a technical point of view, yeah, I'm happy with it. Uh, and I, I kind of that's a difficult thing. I don't really watch myself too much. I only would ever watch myself to try and improve on what I can yeah. do. And I, I guess as well, working with everybody on that. I, I remember doing a scene one day in the rovers. And um, the, uh, so we're filming in one booth about one thing, mm-hmm. and in the co- other corner of the rovers, there's a different storyline going on, which is the play. There, oh, yeah. <laughs> the play being cast, and it was the only chance I had to work on the same set as Maureen Lipman.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, you know, you think you're good. At, I've said this to actor friends of mine. You know, you think you think think you're good at your job. Uh like I get away with this, I'm good at this. Uh <laughs> or enough to get me by. And then you watch somebody who is who is incredible. And and I just it was it was just really enjoyable to watch Maury Littman. I just thought yeah. and I, I, I kinda, you know, and again you're never too old, you know, to learn new things. And I, I tried to use this as a learning experience. I try to use every experience I have as a learning experience and mm. you know I learned so much and off it so you know, bittersweet as I say, happy technically with how things go, but but um, it's something we touched on earlier. It was it's the end you know, it's the end of Griff and at yeah. the end of a, a part of my life that I I absolutely I loved every second of it.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, you you never the, know because they they may invite you back, you know are they going to but, show that leopard never changes his spots and Griff's back in evil again or are they going to show that he's seen the light as it were and people don't believe him you can never well, like, say, you know, like, never, say yeah, never can I mean, you
2: well no never say never i mean obviously you know it, this show's been going 62 years it is it is the number one for a reason they know what they're doing They, they they you know I, I look at it sometimes this is good. this is going to sound really strange i don't know how long you have left on this but this but i watch carnation street now and go I was in that. Mm. I never felt like that when I was doing it. I never felt overawed or anything like that. That sounds because I I knew I was in a different headspace. But I watched, like, say, you know, I would watch, um, Sarah. Like, I was watching the thing the other night now, and I was going, you know, we would sit and talk with, like, we would. Sit, it's just weird watching, yeah, I a group of people, because of now I'm removed from it. Mm. And I, my mom, when I started, my mom could not compute the fact that i was in it it did not it just did not go into her head that i was in that and i was going what mom you know what i do as a job and she was like i know but i it just won't go into my head that you're on that box there Mm. and i'm going i know but you know what i do as a job (laughs) and then i was like that's that's nuts mom you that's that just doesn't compute with me that you think like that and lo and behold, I was watching it the other night and going, I understand what my mum meant, because it doesn't compute in my head that I was in that. Mm, mm, mm. Weird. It's a weird yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, just, look, just before
0: we go, I, I must talk about another big show that you were in, Game of Thrones. So I, yeah. I loved that one it was on. And, and lots of people may remember you in the ro- role of Bowen Marsh, first steward of yeah. the Night's Watch. So um, yeah. what, what was it like to be part of that, another cultural phenomenon?
2: Yeah, again, an incredible thing, you know, um size and scale probably is, is what um what struck me. This is what struck me about that. Mm. Again, you know, I, I I try to go in and be as as professional as I can. I mean, it happened on Coronation Street as well. Sorry, there's a little bit of a parallel in yeah, it the first yeah, time yeah. that I ever saw the rovers. Mm. And I walked past the rovers on my own and I was like and I was walking down to do my first scene and I walked down Coronation Street with nobody else on it, just me on my own. Yeah. And I was—I wanted the world to stop because <laughs> I wanted to go. Does nobody understand the enormity of this for me? But they're too busy working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people are getting on with their lives, and I'm standing outside the rovers going, "This—I watched this as a kid, and I am here, mm. and I cannot believe that I am here." Um. And then I—you very quickly have to go right, get rid of that feeling, go and do your job. Yeah. And the only other really experience that I've had of that, where there was a real, a real light shine moment. Was in Castle Black, which is a huge, big, um, you know, set, mm. and we were doing a scene, and it was the night. Uh, you, I think it you've watched it all. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, that we, we may, spoiled. we may go into Game of Thrones spoilers territory here, especially yeah. with what happens to you in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's in the night where Mance is um, burned on the pyre. Do you remember that? They, yes. they, they, oh yeah. yeah. And John, John Snow um, shoots him with an arrow, so he doesn't burn alive. Yeah. And we were filming that. And um, there was a huge, huge, huge crew, huge operation, obviously, on this. And um, we went in, and it was a cast rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So they cleared all of the castle, and this was at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was a night shoot. They cleared all of the castle, all of the crew, everybody outside, and they closed the gates, of the big gates they closed. I mean, I was standing in the middle of that courtyard, which is in a quarry outside Belfast. And you could, obviously, in the middle of nowhere, the silence. And the only thing you could hear were the flames of the, you know, the torches and the 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 bins and stuff like that. The 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 wood burning, the cracks of that. And I was standing there with Kit Harrington and and Kieran Hines, who's from Belfast. He plays Mance. Um, Liam Cunningham plays Davos. Hmm. Ben Crompton, uh, Manchester, um, plays Dolores. Ed. Um, John Bradley, uh, Legend of a Lad from Dins- yeah. Dinsbury. Uh, all great again lucky to be part of that team and I'm um, and standing there going this is surreal mm-hmm. this is surreal mm-hmm. and keep your head together here and do what you're being asked to do in the audition um, so going in and, that, and doing that so I at those two moments standing outside the rovers and standing inside Castle Black on my own mm. or in Game of Thrones with a couple of people going this is, this is surreal for me to be yeah. doing this you know and yeah. um, because it, they are they are both iconic mm. shows and i'm blessed they've done them both yeah but incredible and, incredible experience
0: when i think about famous Bowen scenes i mean it's it's going to be the, the stabbing and the hanging at the end you must have known when you were doing the stabbing john snow scene that this is going to be huge but especially mm. for people who hadn't read the books like me people are going to go what on earth is this i
2: know yeah yeah i mean incredible incredible to be part of that yeah. um and that was season five. Um that's right. I, you know, and we finished that. This is the story. We finished that scene, and again another night shoot, and again we were going. This is this is what are they going to do? And I was like, there's no way they're going to allow Jon Snow <laughs> to survive it. <laughs> and we got back that night, and we all the guys stay in a in a hotel in Belfast, and um, I think we got back. I can't remember what time we got back, and we or maybe it was the following day, we finished it a little bit earlier and we got back to Belfast. Anyway, we went for a drink at some point at one of the hotels and it was just myself and Kit, the guys that were all going upstairs to get ready to come down for a drink and Kit was there and I was there and I said to Kit, I was like, Kit, I was like, you know, you'll come back next year and he went, Michael, I'm not coming back, that's it, it's done.
1: Really? Going, <laughs> yeah,
2: and I went, no, I was like, there's no way that's going to fly and he went, he went I just had a meeting with Dan and David, the producers, and they'd say it that's me done and I went I will see I went I'm coming back mm-hmm. next
1: year mm-hmm. you will be
2: back next year and we had this conversation and he was brilliant at I don't I don't know whether he thought he wasn't coming back that's how <laughs> <Yeah. he thought. laughs> and then so about six months later uh we went to do we started again game for season six and mm. they in, the, in, in lay up to sort of the hanging scene and sort, sort of sorting that story which is a bit disappointing obviously when you get a script through and you go oh I'm I'm dead well Um, there were were many
0: many other games of throne actors that had that experience and and
2: look you know the touchback on coronation street and 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 the success of the show and how i felt about leaving you know i think that that's something that i i resolved myself with is is the fact that you know there have been huge character in both of the things that i've done real main things that i've done game of thrones and, and and the street is that you know the these are parts of the process and you are in in the best and possible way. You're a part of a a big process that that, that turns and goes. Mm. And, you know, they are incredibly successful at what they do for a reason. They know what they're doing. There have been huge characters. In fact, the Carnation Show huge characters, huge moments, characters people have loved to have come and gone. And, And that's why the show continues to rotate and continues to be brilliant. And it's easier for me, you know, because I'm sad that I left to to rationalize that and go well look you know that that's the way it goes and that's what makes it successful and you know there's that old saying i'm about to do george w bush here and probably forget it properly <laughs> but you know it, it, you know it, it's better to basically it's better to have done it than than, than not you know oh. and i would rather have done it and left than never have experienced it at all and you mm-hmm. know it was the same with thrones it was it was disappointing you know the hanging scene was an incredible incredible moment to go out on one of the most frightening things that i've ever done because it was the, the the special effects team on that were unbelievable, the set designers on that. I mean, we were we were actually this is a bit of a spoiler for people, but we were harnessed in the harness underneath our costumes. Oh, yeah, and the table that we were on was about three feet off. There were two bar there was two barrels underneath. And those barrels actually, in real time were swept away and the table dropped. So we fell about eighteen inches before the harness kicked in. So you got that real oh, drop. It must be terrifying.
0: You, you know the health and safety is there, but just for that second,
2: it was. Well, what they actually did was on this. We filmed that on a Monday. Remember this? We filmed that on a Monday. On the Saturday, we were asked. We got picked up and we were driven out to the set. And they had the gates closed and the directors were there. And we were going, guys. We're going to walk you into the castle. Actually, there was no one else there. No one at all. Just maybe five or six of us. We're going to walk you in. We have four stunt guys who are on who are ready to go. When we walk in here, we don't want you to say a word. We're going to show you the stunt. When you watch that stunt, you're going to go up into that room. You're going to discuss it five, 10 minutes amongst yourself and ask, are you all happy to do it? If Mm -hmm. not, we use these four stunt guys. We're more than happy to use those. And we walked in, they closed the gates behind us and they went an action and they filmed, they showed, not filmed it. They showed us what was going to happen in the harnesses. Mm -hmm. And it was terrifying to watch. So we went up into the room, Owen Tade, myself, Brian Fortune, who's an actor from Dublin and Brennic O'Connor. And um, and we all just went within seconds. We're doing that, you know. Yeah. It was it was such a brilliant stunt that we all wanted to be part of it, although it was terrifying.
1: Mm-hmm. Brilliant. <laughs>
0: oh, well, listen! Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Tell me a little bit about Game of Thrones and Cory, of course. Griff was a, a really fascinating character, and it's been lovely to hear how you you wanted to make him three dimensional as 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 a uh, horrible as a guy he was. It was really lovely to know when when actors. You know, want to want to get under their skin and know what makes them tick, and it certainly sounds like you had that for Griff. So thank you.
2: Yeah, no, listen, I I, I just want to say um thank you to take this opportunity. I mean, obviously, I listen to the podcast and um I think it's fantastic. I think he's doing an incredible job on this. <laughs> um, we had said I had told you about this before, but uh, recently Manchester Airport was closed uh for a lot nine hours. I was delayed for in mm-hmm. departures um and i listened to several of of, of the of the podcasts <laughs> and it's, it's you know it, it, and and i am going to get off here the phone but you know when when i was creating those moments um and that character to listen to the podcast to know how it's really difficult when you do TV to have any sort of feedback as to what you're doing and how it impacts upon people. From an entertainment point of view, maybe from a social point of view, mm. it's hard to know because you film and I close that gate and I try not to think about it because I get to try to get on with my own life yeah. and watch football and and I. It's difficult to gauge that when you listen to podcasts and you understand that these characters that show that what it means to people. Mm. Um and that you're a part of that and listening to the podcast genuinely truly makes me feel part of that. That people want to invest their time and it was the same in fairness with with Thrones and the impact that, that yeah. what you do and I it's it's a good thing for me because I, I love my job I love what I do and I loved my time on Carnation Street I genuinely loved every moment of it and I miss it desperately but I always think to myself well at least you know I've experienced it and that the people went along with that journey with me and they had some view on it Mm. um so you know congratulations to you guys and thank you very much to anyone who voted for me being the body uh (laughs) yeah
0: yeah you got the wrong on award didn't you
2: (laughs) yeah i did yeah and i was absolutely delighted because you know you go well you know what that meant that meant I did my job that I did my you job that like, you, you fell did. for the smoke screens that you fell for the accent no one <laughs> nobody anything that I've read no one has gone that <laughs> fella's accent terrible and I go you fell for that smoke screen you saw thought it was from Manchester <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh well, well now we know the, we know the truth <laughs> well, I'm gonna yes. let you go let, thank let, you let, let, again right Michael it's been lovely thank speaking you. to you thank you there we are all done thank you Michael Thank you, Michael. Thank you. (laughs) Gosh, the hilarity on this podcast wasn't that lovely though I, I just love how he knows his character so well and I know. He, all the extra thought that he put into him and making him a rounded villain but it worked fascinating, didn't it oh yeah I, I thought it really did It was did. A really, great was really in interesting yeah he had some good stories as well I particularly like the cow story I have to say <laughs> during the, the camping oh, scene so thank you for sharing that one with us and that just you know back to Game of Thrones again all that stuff with the, with the hanging scene oh and the, gosh uh, and the stuntmen and everything that was really fantastic so um, thank you I I, I, I didn't thank ask Michael what that. he's got coming up next but I do hope that um, we'll be able to see him on our screens again soon because he's a lovely lovely guy yeah thank hope you hope you enjoyed that everybody and um, if you're watching it then
2: nobody's watching this you know this, this. Not, not this. Yeah. again special, special for our audio files exclusive yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so that's it we're we are, we are going to um, we're going to go and watch tonight's Coronation Street now because it's, it's Thursday there's a Thursday episode this week gonna... anyway we've got stuff to do so we're going to go we're going to be back at the weekend with our thoughts on this week's Coronation Street so until then Hurrah, goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you Gemma. Goodbye. And the music for this episode came from podcastthemes.com. <laughs>